Jonathan, I need another shelf upstairs for my five-star books. Thank you. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we read our shelves. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm on the tail end of a virus uh-huh. or with the cough. Yeah, but it wasn't the so, it wasn't the one nine, so that's good. No, no. I feel like it everybody really wasn't. I feel like everybody I know is sick right now. I know. Apparently it's going around, but I'm hoping that this week's recording will be much easier. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Less coughing, easier on John. Yeah, I'm feel I'm feeling much better. That is good. I'm having a as you can probably hear, unless John cuts it. I was just finishing the dregs of my smoothie. Because we got a new blender and I'm like, oh. we're on a smoothie kick. I'm like, we need, Lily, I swear, does not eat very many vegetables. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be a way we get it in her. So we're, we made, I made smoothies this morning and I made Lily one and I was like, here you go, ready? And she's like, I don't want it. <laughs> I'm like, no. Uh, so she said. <laughs> and yeah, I don't want it. And it's so funny because she loves, like, if we were to stop at like Jamba Juice and get her a little tiny juice or whatever. She loves smoothies if other people make them. But like because mommy made it, she's not interested. So oh that is that was funny. a fail. We'll have to try again. But I've been having smoothie for lunch the last oh. three days. Oh we're you know what? Last month we did a soup thread for patrons. Like I'm almost mm-hmm. half tempted to say what are your favorite smoothie recipes? Because I mean great the, the idea. possibilities yeah. are endless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I I always make the same one with just almond butter and you're a routine gal. Banana. I am very much a routine person, but I do love and it's simple and it's easy. I had some blueberries, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think I've no, I shared my almond energy balls. That's yes. what I shared yes. before. Yeah, maybe I'll bring my smoothie sometime. <laughs> I love it. I will take it. Well, for now, I am bringing something. We talked about this last night. We recorded our bonus, What's in the Mailbag, and we talked about how we've been on a tiny bit of a buying spree for ourselves, mm-hmm. which is not, yep. you know, it's it's a season, right? And so for my birthday, I bought some stuff from Sephora. And with that, My Loving Lately came as a free sample. It is the Laura Mercier Caviar Stick Eyeshadow. Ooh. And it was for your birthday through Sephora. If you're a certain, I don't know, member or whatever, they you can pick one of their free birthday gifts. And this is how they get you because I fell mm-hmm. in love with the product and now I need a full size but what it is, and you've actually brought an eyeshadow stick previously, I think from what, Thrive? Mm-hmm. Clinique. Clinique. Oh, Clinique. Yeah. Their chubby stick. Mm-hmm. Their chubby stick. This one is, same idea, it is a stick eyeshadow. And what I love about it, it's a long-lasting creamy eyeshadow stick. And literally all you do is just mush it on your eye. <laughs> it's probably better. <laughs> Apply it to your eye and that's it. You can buff it out with a brush if you want to or your finger. And that's literally it. It's so fast. The color I got is called Strapless. I love it. It's one of their metallics, but they have a ton of other colors as well. What I like about this is it's very creamy. 
I get fussy if a cream product is like too stiff. I'm like, what is the point? Mm -hmm. This just goes on really great, really easily, and you get great payoff. And yesterday, Thursdays are my long days. I work and I teach and we came home and recorded. So I had this on my eyes for about 12 hours. By the end of the day, I was taking off my makeup. I'm like, hey, you can still see it. So I think that says something. I like to top it with a little glitter. So you can definitely layer stuff on top of it or wear it by itself. And Renee, you bought me a gift card to Ulta for my birthday, very generously. (laughs) And I looked, they have it at Sephora, but they also have it at Ulta. So I'm definitely going to be getting mine from Ulta. This is the Laura Mercier Caviar Stick Eyeshadow. Um, Yes, please. I wasn't sure until you said stick. That's the only type of eyeshadow I use, which is my Clinique Chubby Stick. But I would love to have a different variety, like a different color selection because Clinique is a little bit limited. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to yeah check that out. Oh, yeah. Sure. And they had a bunch. I was surprised at how many colors there were. I mean, maybe like 15 more. Okay. I like it. All right. Well, we're going with products Ooh, apparently today yes. because what you, I... What have you got? One of my favorite hand masks. I'll tell you the one I'm bringing and then I'll tell you the one I've recently bought, which I will report back on. But the one I've used in the past as winter comes around, my hands are super dry, especially my cuticles. So I like to use the Aveeno Repairing Hand Mask And that has uh, prebiotic oat and shea butter for extra dry skin. Now, this is a great deal. You can get a pack of five. Um, I do typically get those on Amazon. Pack of five for $10. And I I, I usually give these out to people at Christmas too because it's something that I love. It comes with a pair of gloves and all of the goodie, the good stuff is inside the gloves. Put them on, leave them on for 10 minutes. That's it. Take it off and massage, you know, massage whatever's left in. But it's so moisturizing. I really love this. It's a nice little inexpensive self-care thing to do when you're watching TV or or whatever, listening to an audiobook. Now, I just recently ordered a new hand mask from Patchology. I'll link to that too. And the reason I got this was it was a deals and steals on Good Morning America. So I did get 50% off. It's $10 for one, but this one is self-warming. And it says that it uses the, like a space blanket technology to heat up, which I'm very intrigued by. So I will have to let you know how that one compares to the Aveeno later on. Did you say? But anyway. Did you say space, space blanket? blanket. Yes, that's what it says on their ad. Yes. Wow. No wonder it uses the tech. Yeah, it says it uses space blanket technology or like to heat to self heat. I was like, all right, that sounds fancy. (laughs) But this, okay. So anyway, this one is the Aveeno repairing hand mask. That's a great idea too to get this as a gift for somebody because anybody would like this. I am sure. Right. Who would not want? To moisturize their hands. Right. And I would not think to buy this for myself. Mm, okay. These are uh, good. Yes. These are definitely good. This is why I love this segment. I'm telling you, because we're talking about space blankets and hand warmers. I know. <laughs> hand moisture. I mean, who knew? Who knew? I actually didn't know that was a be... thing. Do they cover your fingers? Or are your fingers out? Yes. No, no, no. It covers your whole hand. Yes. Covers your whole hand. Yes. All right. All right, friends. 
friends. Let's talk about it. Let's, Let's hear talk it. about my latest read. It is Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry. Yes. This book is everywhere right now. And I wanted to share my thoughts because I've definitely heard mixed reviews. This is Maddie Perry's memoir, and he tells his whole life story from his early days, from when his parents were divorced, to making it, to friends, and everything that came after friends, all the way through 2022, basically. And it said he started writing this on his phone during the pandemic, and his agent told him to keep going because he was just on a roll, basically. His story is told in a linear way, so it kind of does follow him throughout his life, but then he puts in these little interludes where he shares pretty shocking stories about his addiction. And the big terrible thing he's referencing in the title is his that he's an addict to many different things. And overall, I thought this one had a good balance of juicy tidbits about the business and about celebrities. He definitely name drops, which I always appreciate. <laughs> and insight as to how he lived through his struggle with addiction for the majority of his life. This was a secret to a lot of people. Um, he talks a little bit about his relationship with the actors from Friends, and like obviously they knew something was up because throughout the, you know, it was a ten year show, so throughout the time he definitely was struggling. But by and large, like it wasn't this thing that everybody kind of understood about him. I will say some of the big criticism I've read about this book is that he makes a really off color joke and mentions Keanu Reeves. <sighs> no, I think it should have been edited out. He shouldn't have said it. It was not necessary at all. But for me, I would not let that deter you from reading it overall because the strength of this book for me is the details about what it's like to be an addict. I have never read a book that more clearly defines just how all-consuming drug and alcohol addiction is. I mean, I felt for him. I'm like, holy cow, like it's He's got everything in the world, and he's not afraid to tell you that. But still, he kind of says he would trade everything if he didn't have this addiction because it's there with him 24 hours a day. It's something he's always fighting. I mean, pills, alcohol, and cigarettes, like those, he he's addicted to wow, all of it. Yeah. It's a disease. It's not because, oh, you know, whatever. He really talks through the disease. He talks through all the things that he you know, and all the money he spent to try and fight this thing. Um, and he does acknowledge a little bit his privilege and, like, of course, the ability that he has to do this. And it sounds like he does want to give back. But I will say, this book definitely has a voice, and I can see why it rubs some people the wrong way. I think it's because, to me, it sounds like he's still really in his addiction. Like, he's been, I think, sober for about 18 months, but he's not on That's the other not side. not very long, right. So you almost, when I'm reading books like this, I want to have like a happily ever after. I want to, I want a little distance. I wanted to be, and I'm not criticizing him like for writing it at this point in his life. But for me, it was kind of hard to read because I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know that you're on the other side. And I don't know that a person is ever fully on the other mm -hmm. side, but it reads to me that he's still very much in it. There's not as much friend stuff about the show. So if you're expecting like a friend's memoir, this is not that. I know Lisa Kudrow does a, uh, introduction to the book. I didn't get that on the audio book that I had, so I have not listened to it, but I'd be curious. I'm also dying to know what the other friends think about it. I'm mm -hmm. really curious. Not that I'll ever know, <laughs> but or we, <laughs> we probably won't know, but I'd be really curious to find out what they think about it. You can tell, though, that he loved that job. He loved those people, and still, he 
really, really, you know, loves those people. He does say some things about some healthcare folks and some of the healthcare things. I'm like, oh boy, that is, it's not great the way that he phrased certain things. I can hear it in his voice. He's very sarcastic. And again, I just don't think he's on the other side. So you might walk away from this, maybe not liking him as much as you did previously. I still really valued my reading experience of this book simply because it really helped me understand addiction as a disease. That is the strength for me. And I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him to stay healthy and to find his peace. I do think the audio is worth listening to. He narrates, and it's not a terribly long book. I think it was maybe eight or nine hours. I recommend it. And this was Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry. Wow, you did a great job with reviewing that. And I don't think when someone's writing their memoir, and if it's going to be authentic and true, chances are they're going to probably come across at times unlikable. Yeah. Even, you know, like, I mean, not every, it's his story. And I wonder, and maybe we won't know this either, if five years from now, he may yeah. look back at this yeah. and think, gosh, I wish I would have waited or I, yeah. I see now how I came across. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, we won't know. Time will, time will tell. Time will right? tell. And I do think there's still just not enough space between that part of his life. I mean, he was, he was using for mm-hmm. 30 years, 40, 20 oh, years, gosh, like a, yeah. a really, really, really long time. Anyway, I mean, let me know what you think. Yeah. <laughs> if you end I, up reading I, it. I bet that will be a good companion with his interview. With Diane Sawyer. Yes, I had not watched it. I was avoiding it specifically because I did not want to spoil the book for myself because I hear it's very close. I hear the book and the interview cover the same topics. Mm -hmm. I still will watch the interview. I'm still glad I read it because, again, I just really think he he almost brought me inside the mind of an addict. Like, I was uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with him, which is really hard to do. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I did watch the interview, and I I do recommend that I'll be curious to hear how you think they compare. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't talk about our latest reads usually unless it's from something of one of our specific lists, but I'm also bringing a nonfiction, which we did not plan. All right. But yeah, I I have been still continuing on a little bit of a nonfiction kick from our last episode, and I binged Tiny Beautiful Things, the 10th anniversary edition, Advice from Dear Sugar by Cheryl Strayed which just came out and it's Reese's Book Club's November pick. Now, I never read this when it came out 10 years ago. Thank you. I've never Did you see my face? Yes. I'm like, "Wait, uh-huh. her book club pick." But okay, it's a- Yeah, she just picked this new edition and the difference is there is six additional columns, a new preface written by Cheryl Strayed, and also this is going to be a Hulu original series soon. Oh, okay. Should be interesting. So, I actually don't think I've ever read a letter to Dear Sugar or her like advice response. So this was all completely new to me. What it is is a compilation because for more than 10 years, thousands of people have sought advice from Dear Sugar, which is the pseudonym of bestselling author Cheryl Strayed. If you remember, she wrote Wild, which came out years ago. She was the Deer Sugar columnist at The Rumpus. Then she had the Deer Sugar's popular podcast. And now she has a Deer Sugar's uh, newsletter on Substack. So this is a compilation of letters and her advice. It is very honest. 
And also, the book is billed as a bomb for everything life throws our way. I was very curious about it. I listened to this. Cheryl narrates, I do think that's the way to go. The book is a mix of letters from people from all walks of life, sharing their problems, sometimes in excruciating detail, their problems, their dilemmas, and her advice to them is raw and unflinching. And when you think, when I, at least I did, I thought, advice, huh, all right, she'll tell them a few things. No, some of these responses that she gave were, were very long, very detailed, very intricate, and that is because her advice reads like a memoir, which is very interesting. In each and every letter, some were, some were shorter, but most were a little bit longer, and it reads like a letter because she shares a lot about her own life her own experiences, her own hard-earned wisdom, and then ties that back into her advice for each person. I actually loved this aspect of it. She's very upfront about the fact that she is not a trained therapist or a psychologist, which I think worked in her favor because she was able to share whatever she wanted about her life. And I am and was a therapist Uh, many years ago. That's how I was trained in graduate school. I'm still licensed, but we were trained. You don't give personal details about your life. Yeah. You don't, you know, that is not what therapy is, is for. She could do that. And I was riveted. I was truly riveted by each and every person's letter. Every time I would hear their problem or their dilemma, some of them, I was like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Or wow, that's interesting. But every single time I would think, what is she possibly going to tell them? I couldn't wait to hear what type of advice was she going to get to give them. There's a lot of complicated, messy stories and problems. Some are very complex. She also shared quotes and readings and information from other people, which I really liked. And overall, I I really enjoyed this. I think I would probably land about 4.5 stars. I mean, there wasn't anything I would actually critique about this. It is what it is. She's very upfront. And that was Tiny Beautiful Things, the 10th anniversary edition. Advice from Dear Sugar by Cheryl Strait. I'm glad you brought that. I don't know anything about Dear Sugar either. Like I I it mm-hmm. came I've seen yeah. it floating around, but I did not realize. But when you had said Reese picked it, I'm like, wait, it, that book came out a long time ago, but that's cool that uh-huh. they revamped it. And it's been 10 years. I know. And I think obviously they did that for the Hulu uh, uh, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It all ties but, in. You know how it goes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's feeding books into her, her empire, but hey, if it gets more people reading, whatever. Well, yeah. And I mean, you Wait, can is tell she adapting based... it? Is Reese adapting it or no? Oh, I Probably don't know. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't gotcha. think so. Okay. I didn't see that. I think they're personal friends mm. from what I, I saw Reese when she announced it. Um, they're good friends. But you can tell, you can very much tell that Cheryl Strayed is a writer. Yeah. I mean, you know, like the way she writes, I really liked it. Do you think it played well on audio? Yes. Good. Because she narrates. And so you're getting inflections in the way she gives her advice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I really loved it on audio. I really did. I'm not a po I, I may buy a print copy. There's quite a bit of times in her advice that I was thinking, oh gosh, I want to remember that. 
Yeah. That was really good advice. That's a good piece. Let me put that in my back pocket. (laughs) Some of these problems that people out there are having blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And there's no easy solution. I I don't know how she tackled some of those. But yeah, I I, I do recommend it. I liked it. All right. Yeah. Well, we have a listener latest read today. And I thought, gosh, this one is so perfect because our theme for today is read our shelves. So basically, we just... You know, and we'll talk about how we selected Mm -hmm. our books, but the goal was to read books that we already had. And our listener, Angela underscore Pineda on Instagram shared this with us. I read Pretty Little Wife by Darby Kane, a thriller from 2020. It was a great story with developed characters and good pacing. Highly recommend if you want a psychological thriller. Can't believe I left it unread on my bookshelf for so long. And I'm like, mm-hmm. perfect. You you know, it was a great yeah. pick for this episode. I've actually never read that author, but I am tempted. And I always love when I'm in the mood for a good psychological thriller. Like I want a list of ones that are just ready to go because they're not the most challenging reads sometimes, but like I just want a good one handy so I can just breeze through it. Oh, for sure. Her comment about, can't believe I left this on my shelf. Story <laughs> of, of definitely yes. one of my books today that, yeah. I, so that that's going to be fun to talk about. Well, and two, we're talking a little bit. It sounds to me that when you were prepping for this episode, took a look at your physical bookshelves. Is that right? Yes, I did. I want to talk about, well, we are going to talk about the different types of bookshelves and how you can yeah. organize your bookshelves and how we each organize our bookshelves. Instead of just reading whatever I wanted, and I actually went to my print TBR shelf. Mm-hmm. So I have a print, I have some, I have print books in our den and that's where I keep the ones I haven't read. And so I, yeah, that's where I chose my books from today. And I mean, a little, of course I have, I don't know, I didn't count them. I have a lot of unread print books, Yeah, but you know, not all of them call to you. So for sure. <laughs> and that's kind of where I landed. So I also went to my print books, the books that I own, And looked and thought, all right, which ones am I in the mood for? And I came up with one that's very much a fall book. And then another one, I just happened to have it on my shelf. But then I saw somebody online mention it and they gave it a glowing review. And I'm like, ah, yes, see, it it called to me. That's what made me grab Mm -hmm. it. So talk to me a little bit more about how you organize your shelf. So you've got separate spaces for your books? Yes, I have... And this is just like actual books in my house, yeah. not my not my net galley shelf, with the, which is a whole nother bookshelf, yes. <laughs> digital bookshelf, plus my Kindle. Print books, I have, we have a, a den where Vinny's dog crate is and just the printer and, you know, a little uh, a desk and built-ins. And that is where I have my, my to-be-read print books. So there, it's a combination of books that I buy and ARCs. Um, advanced copies that may be sent to me in the mail, that mm-hmm. ones that I actually, everything is books I actually do want to read because then in the cabinets underneath, I keep books that will not make their way to my five-star bookshelf, which is in my family room. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and those are books that I want to see anytime I walk by and anytime we're it's they're just always there they're in our main family room where we watch tv for those i have a vertical stack of a few books but then i also have 
not a vertical stack, vertical setup, I guess, because then I also have them like setting around as a stacked shelf with picture frames on top. Mm-hmm. So kind of like but more visually decorative pleasing. a little decorative. bit. Yes, yeah. Yes. yes. But they're all books that have stories that I won't forget, that I love, that I look at, like that I think, oh, I remember, I remember that. And blah. so I just recently added Demon Copperhead to my five-star bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And when I did that, every now and then I will I will go over everything and think, do I still, how does that one still make me feel? Do I still love it? Do I want it to stay? And I decided that I was going to remove Me Before You by Jojo Moyes. I feel like I loved it at the time. I did. And I just don't feel like it's lasted as far as, Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, so I I pulled that off and it's going in my little free library. Wow. So you're getting... You're getting rid of it altogether. I think so. Yeah, I I don't. And that's what I was going to say about the books that live under the cabinet. If it's not a to be read and it's not a five star, then it goes in the under the cabinet for my little free library. Because I just, I love, yeah, I love, I mean, why do I need to keep it if other people, like somebody else might enjoy it who hasn't read it. So I like to, that's how I keep a steady flow going in my little free library. Okay, so what about you? How do you ta- how do you tackle your shelves? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so we moved everybody. I've talked about this a thousand times, and I do have now a separate office. Which before our shelves were in our living room. God, they were gorgeous. They were so pretty. <laughs> I, you've probably seen them if you follow me on Instagram. Funny sidebar: somebody that I work with <laughs> recognized my bookshelves on a Zoom. We were on a Zoom at work. She's like, "By the way, not to be weird, but we work together. I follow you on Instagram." Oh, that's we did, so I didn't know her beforehand. I knew her from Instagram. But anyway, we've now since connected in person. But she's like, oh, I recognize you from your shelves. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, anyway, that's funny. So I am a little bit in flux right now. I prefer my books to be shelved in a rainbow scheme. And I try to do it in this new space where each individual shelf has its own mini rainbow. I don't like the effect overall. It didn't work for me. They're also sort of in alphabetical order, sort of not. The problem is when we moved, I went from five bookshelves to now three. So I definitely mm-hmm. have a lot more books than I have space for. So I am in a transition phase. I've been selling a lot on Pango Books. I've been giving a ton away to the library here locally, to little free libraries. I mailed you a box. <laughs> yes, thank you for uh-huh. my little free library. Of course. And so now I am tempted to go back to what I had previously, which was just an entire rainbow. So an entire shelf of white, red, et cetera. I like that much better. And the way I'm going to shift it out is I think I'm going to have one or two shelves of TBR and then one shelf of everything I've read. Because that way I do keep all the books that I've read by and large, almost all. Here's why. I like to make content. So I make content, obviously, on Instagram. I'm Mm -hmm. dabbling on TikTok as well. So for me, I want to have the books handy so that I can, I don't know, it just like inspires me to see them and think, oh, Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be great to come up with a list of really unhinged main characters or whatever it is? Oh, yeah. So I like to have all the books that I have read handy. I also, right now, I still have my library cart, which I try to organize by immediate TBR books that came in the mail in preparation for mailbag and library. And then I just have like three 
really tall stacks. These stacks are four feet tall. They're much taller than Lily. (laughs) They're very unstable. Yes, luckily she doesn't bother them too much, but I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do. You have inspired me though. I'm very tempted. I told Jonathan yesterday, I was like, I feel like we need a five-star shelf somewhere else. He's like, where? (laughs) Where else would you put it? (laughs) And I'm like, I haven't decided yet, but I feel like it's a great idea to then have. But now I'm like talking myself out of it because I'm like, how do I decide which goes on the coveted five-star shelf? Well, I know. I know. It can be ever changing. Mine doesn't typically change a whole lot because it takes, you know, it's a lot for, I have to really, really, really be wowed by a book tremendously Mm -hmm. in order to to buy a print copy to just to put it on my shelf. Because for the most part, I listen to the books or I read them on my Kindle. So these are not books that I am buying in print form to read in print form. Right, right. They're because I I love them. Yeah, I love them so much Mm -hmm. that I want them to be there where I can see them and and highlight. My intention is to highlight like favorite passages, but you know, I need a whole day to To, kind of to sit down and do that. Maybe over break when we take a break from the pod. By the way, we're gonna have the week of Thanksgiving off, but we'll tell you about that. Yes. Later. (laughs) Now I Recently got a Kindle Oasis, and I just discovered, I think you can do this on any Kindle, but I discovered that you can organize your Kindle books too, and you can create collections. And I'm like, where have I been this entire time? Why haven't I been doing this? So one morning, I was just laying there kind of organizing my reads, and I was like, you you need to get up and go to work. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but anyway, I have now little uh, collections I've started on my Kindle. I have one for NetGalley. I have one for Latest Read. I have one for red, one for library, one for immediate TBR, and then uncollected. Now, what's the difference between latest read and immediate TBR and red? I don't know. I forget why I created (laughs) that. I think maybe that was my holding spot for what I'm reading at the moment. Latest is my latest read. And I'm going to, I put them there so I remember to put them in my latest read for the show. Guess how many books I have uncollected on this Kindle? 550. 1,290. Oh, yeah. That is so many books. And yet I'm still tempted to be like, oh, they all have to go somewhere. Let me organize these. Uh Now, some of them are not. I think the library ones stay on your Kindle unless you delete them. So some of them I have to delete. Anyway, I just wanted to put in a quick note that, yeah, you can organize your Kindle books too. And I'm positive most of, or some of you all at least knew that, but I, my mind was blown. I'm like, oh, wow. This is a really fun way to spend time. (laughs) I think I knew it and forgot, and mm-hmm. I don't have mine organized, yeah. but I bet I'm almost positive I have over a thousand also. Oh, I'm sure. Well, you and you, it would be nice for you to organize them because you download all those free samples, and then you could I put know. your free samples in a spot. And then, I mean, in a That's perfect true. world, this is how we are organizing. That is true. Renee found this awesome article about ways that you can organize yourselves. And you might think, you all by now know that we are like extreme book nerds. So this is like right up our alley. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure if you're listening to us, this is going to be up your alley too. But who would have thought that there's so many different ways to organize your books and your systems? So mm-hmm. I was half tempted to do this. Number one, separate your hardcovers and paperbacks. And what you do for that, it looks so much cleaner if you divide your hardcovers and your paperbacks. And it's a really... If you're a visual person, it can be very satisfying to not have these different size books. You'll still get a a variance because obviously there's shorter paperbacks, taller ones, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, that could look really cool if you you separate it that way. Right. 
I I really like that idea. Okay. So the second way, which is your way, Tina, is arranging books by color. Mm-hmm. And that would be a good method. It's ideal for the type of reader who likes to associate certain stories with their covers and is very visual. So you do the rainbow, right? I do. And I have such an easier time if I'm if I want to talk about a book. If I'm like, okay, what color? The Violin Conspiracy. I'm more apt to remember that book was red than remember the name Brandon Slocomb. Even oh, though I okay, love that yeah. book, what comes to mind first is the looking at the actual book and I know it's red almost immediately. Now, sometimes mm-hmm. we get tricked because, well, there's two ways that I get thrown off. I'm looking right now at The Startup Wife by Tamima Anam and it's rainbow. Literally, there's every color of the rainbow. So I'm like, where do I stick you? Where do I put it? That's oh, that's tricky. Yeah. And then other books will do the thing where they have a different color cover and then the spine is different. So Cover Story does this by Susan Rigetti. It's a blue cover, but the spine is yellow. So it stays with my yellows. But okay. in my head, I might think it's blue because the cover itself is blue. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's tricky. And that's also the most popular way of organizing a bookshelf. Very surprised by that. I'm like, how did you measure this? But hey, I know there's a lot of people that love Rainbow. I know there's a lot that hate it, but you know, I'm glad to hear I'm not the only weirdo. We yes, and we haven't got to the way I I do mine yet, but I'm gonna switch it up. I'll tell you when we get there. Perfect. Yes, yes, definitely do. Um, The next one is don't be afraid to stack books. Keeping all your Mm -hmm. books in a neat row is a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. If you want a handful of select books to stand out, stack them. You can stack them by a theme, cover, or size and keep stacks on their own or use them to break up in a row. And I've, I like that. I've seen some libraries that are very full that have a little, you know, they break things up with little stacks. I might try that in my new setup because I know I need a little bit more space. So that will Mm -hmm. totally work. I also, of course, have my giant book stacks, which I'm not quite sure where I'm going with that. (laughs) But yeah, I I also, you know, I I like the idea of stacking books. Yeah, that's that is what I I do partly on my five star bookshelf. So maybe I'll put that up in stories or something after this airs and show you what that looks like. (gasps) You know, Um, maybe I'll do a before and after. Oh, yeah. I love how I love my favorite thing to do is to make work for myself. That's <laughs> like, I'm like, I, nobody cares, but I'm like, oh, well, maybe I have to. Sorry, I got to reorganize these books for the pod. <laughs> uh-huh. That'll be fun. That would be fun. I would love to see that. Okay. The next way is organizing books by genre or subject. So I don't know if this appeals to you. It really appeals to me because I'm a mood reader. So you can, like, organizing books by genre can help you find books depending on your current reading mood. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, this is what I'm going to experiment with and, and switch up my shelf, my to-be-read wow. shelf and organize by genre instead of what I have right now, which we haven't got to yet. So I'll yeah. tell you now. This one will be tricky for me because I am such a definitions person. I'll be like, oh, is this really historical fiction? It's set in 19. I would like agonize over each and every way of (laughs) organizing it. But I will say I do separate out my nonfiction a little bit. So I do plan to bring some of my nonfiction titles to my office down, like when I go into the office, to have Mm -hmm. those there because it relates to what I do for work in my day job. And I'm like, I would love to have some of my nonfiction titles there. And then if folks want to come in and borrow them, I'm happy to let them borrow them. I kind of, that Mm -hmm. appeals to me. 
Yeah. I think mine's going to be pretty general as far as mysteries, thrillers, nonfiction. Yeah. uh, Literary fiction. And I don't know, maybe just a general contemporary. Oh, general Mm -hmm. contemporary fiction. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So I'll tell you, we're going to skip down a little bit and I will tell you the way I do my shelf. Currently, my to be read, they are arranged by height and size. And I know, I just thought that was the way I, you know, I didn't know that was an actual method, but it's, it's for people who like visual, like things to be visually organized by sight, right? Because I go from, which is how I feel when I look at it. I go, um, you know, tallest to shortest. So I go left to right. Yeah. And I do visually really like that here. And I am going to change it up and go by um, genre just to see how I feel. But the reason I like to go by height is also my books are completely mixed up. I don't know what's what. So when I stand in front of my to be read shelf, which is 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 three or four solid rows, I feel like I'm shopping my shelves because I don't I don't really remember what is there. And so everything is it feels a a little bit like a surprise. That's so like the library, I guess. Yeah, that's so fascinating because. I am with you. Visually, I would like to see it organized that way. I love the idea of tallest to shortest. And I know, and I'm almost wondering if it would bug me if they were all mixed up. And I know some folks that could not handle, <laughs> could not have it mixed up. But I hear what you're saying. That is kind of fun. It's almost like a surprise. Like, all right, let me go in here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, what's, what's calling to me. I love that. So lots of different ideas. And we'll link and... to the full article so you can yes. maybe get some ideas about how you want to organize your bookshelves. Of course, this is a, we've talked about this before, but I will never get sick of understanding how people organize their books. Like I love mm-hmm. to see it. So feel free to send us a note. And if there's like a way that oh, you yeah. are avid about, or if there's a way that we didn't mention, like, let us know. We'd be happy to hear about it. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it. Um, if you're on Instagram, we can do a fun thread or yeah. a post yeah, and, and sharing our stories how, or something. How most people or how what's the variety of ways to organize your bookshelves? What are I you doing? It. Well, I will tell you about my first book that I have had on my shelf. And it's been on my TBR in my brain for a long time. It's called Pen Pal by Dathan Auerbach. And our patrons have heard of this before. I brought it to our fall mailbag episode. What appeals to me about this one, it's kind of got a mysterious origin story, if you will. Okay, not mysterious and like somebody found it like buried under a rock, but it started (laughs) out, this author wrote it as like a series of Reddit threads and people were like, oh my God, we love this story. Keep going, keep going. And from there, it grew into a book and it seems like people either love it or hate it. So what it's about, it's almost written like a memoir. And that's kind of how I read it. I'm like, all right, this character is telling me his story. This is his memoir. Because it's a man who is telling his story, trying to make sense of his own mysterious and unsettling childhood memories. And he's trying to put the pieces together. He's talking about his friend that he used to hang out with a lot in his hometown. They would play games and kind of explore the woods and do things that little boys do. But then you figure out, okay, these things are fitting together in a larger story. And it comes together almost in a horror novel, right? It starts very much rooted in this world, but then things get very, very spooky. And each chapter completes a different piece of the puzzle for both you and the narrator. So you as a reader are finding out things at the same time as the narrator. 
Because even though he's telling this from some perspective, like he's an adult now and this was his childhood, you're almost reading it like you're in the moment with him. It's very, very unique. And again, it's nonlinear. So you are kind of bouncing around between the now and the author's past, all in an attempt to get to the really bad thing that happened to him when he was a kid. It took me a bit to get used to the cadence of the book, but once I got in, I sped right through it. I did read this in print, and I thought the writing style, to me, worked because it really contributed to the eeriness of the book. Again, you're like, I was reading this almost, if it's possible to do this, with like my hands covering my face, peeking through my (laughs) fingers because I was like, something is coming. I don't know what it is, but it's coming. I know I'm going to get a jump scare here at some point. So it really does feel like you're in the moment with the protagonist. I will say, this is a slower read. It takes a while to build. I would say it's not until the last quarter or so that everything comes together. But boy, when it comes together, it slaps you in the face. It's short. It's about a 200-page book. So you're not going to be spending you know, a, a ton of time here. I don't want to tell you anything else at the risk of spoiling it. But if you're in the mood for a very fall, moody, atmospheric read with an ending that will haunt you, this will work. It's definitely a story that's going to stick with me. And I still think about how things wrapped up. This is Pen Pal by Dathan Auerbach. Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. (laughs) All right. Very interesting. Okay. Mine is very different from that, but... This was initially a cover by a while ago, and and you'll know why when I tell you. It's called The Friend by Signand Nunez, and the cover has a gigantic Great Dane on it, mm-hmm. the dog, like a Great Dane dog, and plus it's a it, it's kind of a colorful story. So between the title and the dog, I have been intrigued by this book for so long. And I'm really, really glad I finally pulled it off my shelf. This is a story, and it's literary. And, you know, I've been into literary shorter reads this fall, and this definitely falls into that. It's it's very short. It's like 224 pages. I did end up doing a combo print and audio. I wasn't wowed by the audio, but it did bring a different perspective to the story. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But this is a story about love, friendship, grief healing and the magical bond between a woman and her dog. And the woman in this story is an unnamed narrator, and she unexpectedly loses her lifelong best friend and mentor, and quite possibly a man she may have been in love with. And at one point, she finds herself burdened because initially it is a burden that he left his dog to her, for her to take care of. And there's a whole bunch of issues with that. The main one being dogs are permitted, prohibited in her New York City apartment building. So you have her telling the story. She's battling grief because this is a sudden death. Check trigger warnings on this, but it was sudden. So you have her grief, but you also have this dog, this gigantic gentle giant who is suffering also because his master is unexpectedly gone. So as she's telling the story about just her life, trying to grapple with her friend's death, you do get a bit of, is she magically thinking about her relationship with him? Um, what is What is actually true? What is not true? Because remember, this is all coming from her 
mind. And I definitely felt like she was struggling with trying to figure out how she felt about this guy who she thought was such a wonderful friend and mentor. And who, what turns out, he was kind of a jerk. And he was a writer and she's a writer. And so there's a lot about the literary world and writing and books, which I loved. But really, this is a simple story at its core. And it's not going to be for everyone, but it really was for me. I really liked it. It's quirky. It's a, it is a meditation on love and loss and the human canine devotion. And the way that it's told also is, yes, she is unnamed. That didn't bother me at all. And she tells the story as if she's speaking to her dead friend. So a lot of you, you, you talked about this, you wrote this, you, and that's how we come to get to know him. And I, and so I really like this. If you like books, okay, that deal with psychology in terms of someone grappling with the psychology of grief and love and longing and wanting to know or thinking you know somebody and then finding out after it's too late, she can't talk to him anymore, that maybe she didn't really know him. But at the same time, um, also delving into the, the like loving a dog. So if you love, if you love dogs, uh, it's, I really think you would like this book. Um, there were so many times that she talked about, um, this dog and her, connection with this dog and how she was trying to navigate life with this dog that I thought, okay, that's weird. But also that's kind of how I think about Vinny Mm -hmm. or, and my dogs before him and as a dog lover and someone who spends, you know, who's had a dog for years, I saw myself in a lot of her weird, quirky behaviors. And we all would really love to know what dogs are thinking at some time, at some point, I think. And that's, that's just a bit about this story. I enjoyed it. I I think it's got, I think it has mixed reviews, but overall I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I finally read this book. It's The Friend by Signed Nunez. I'm glad you read it too. And you're right. These episodes are so satisfying to do because it's like, I don't know. You, it feels like you can check something off your list. Like it's yes. just it's like, even if you don't love the book, which it sounds like you liked this one, but even I did if like there's it a lot, you can process it. You can either move it to your five star shelf. You can let it go. You, you yes. know what I mean? Like you, you know what it's about. You've got it. And you can move on to something else. Yes. Oh, I told you I'm being dark today. Uh, okay. <laughs> They're the the last one. I don't know if I express how dark pen pal is. So please know it's horror. It's very friggin' horror. dark. Okay, yeah. But I told you I'm going dark today. And my book two is called Yes Daddy by Jonathan Parks Ramage. Oh, I want to read this. Uh-huh. And I totally grabbed this because of the cover. It's awesome. It's this man in a pool and he's floating on this little raft. Very deceptive cover, but that's okay. Like I'm cool with you know, dark books, but just know going in, like, this is not an easy, breezy read. Hat tip to Birdie in Bookland. Her review of this mm-hmm. made me push it to the top of my read list. It was just serendipity that I grabbed it. What Yes Daddy is about, it follows this young man as he moves from Illinois to New York City. I, of course, loved the Illinois connection. And his dream is to be a playwright. 
And actually, he does this funny thing where he looks up this famous playwright online named Richard, and he's like, all right, I'm going to get this man to go out with me. (laughs) He basically learns his favorite restaurant and like buys the perfect clothes, and he goes to this um, talk that this man is doing. Jonah has these big dreams, and he really wants to become this playwright and thinks like, all right, this is my in. Right now, things aren't going great in New York City. He's definitely hurting for cash. He's working at a restaurant and barely making rent. But he feels like, all right, you know what? This could be my stepping stone to success. And it turns out that they do then begin a hungry, passionate affair. And Summer arrives, and Richard invites Jonah to stay with him at his estate in the Hamptons. Uh, Jonah's like, heck yeah, this is wealth I've never seen before. I'm totally in it. And he starts to buy him clothes and, you know, kind of indoctrinate him into this rich lifestyle. Jonah is from the Midwest. He's just not used to it. He's never been around people like this. But also, he's much younger. Um, He's probably, we'll say, 22, 23, and the man is uh, 40s, 50s. I can't exactly remember, but he's definitely an older, um, it's a a large age gap in their relationship. So he's at these parties and meeting Richard's friends, and he's like, he can't help but notice, like, there seems to be a lot of young gay men around at the wait, as wait staff. He's like, how did this happen? And then things take a turn, and I will leave it there in terms of the plot. This book, I could not put it down. I literally was hooked from the very beginning because it opens up with a trial, and Jonah is talking about his time with Richard. You're like, what happened during this summer? I was in it. This book is about class. It's about power dynamics. It's about being a victim. This is a book that I think takes a a really sharp look at the Me Too movement from a gay man's point of view. And ah, wow, it's what's funny about this story is that even though it does go to very dark places, it was also really sharp. The dialogue is funny. It's it's snarky. It's just kind of cutting. So the dialogue is really funny, but I will say it definitely takes this turn. Also, you find out that Jonah, not only is he Midwestern and, you know, wanted to be this playwright, you find out a lot about his childhood. And wow, did he have a lot of struggles growing up in terms of his sexuality and coming into his own. And I will say this, if you liked the book Bathhouse by P.J. Vernon, Mm -hmm. and if you liked the book The Last Housewife by Ashley Winstead, that is their baby. This book is their baby. Oh, okay. I was reading, you know, kind of working on my script for this show, and I was so, this is an aside no one will care about but me, but I found out that the author's partner is a man named Ryan O'Connell. Ryan O'Connell wrote the book just by looking at him, which I adored. Mm. I gave it five stars. And in that book, this man is trying to find his lifelong partner, and I was so delighted. I'm like, oh my gosh, these two authors are together, even though the book is a fiction book, but I felt like it was so real. I'm like, oh good, the character found his true love. Anyway, Really, this book is really, really smart. Again, it's very dark, but I absolutely think it's worthwhile. It's worth the read. It's called Yes, Daddy, and it's by Jonathan Parks Ramage. Yes. Okay. Well, funny. That's funny because Courtney sold me on this in her review. Yes. And Mm -hmm. that's, and this was not on my radar until I read her review. And then I think she mentioned at some point in her review that it gave, it gave her at times vibes of a little life. Oh. And I said, and I said, excuse me, 
<laughs> now you have my attention. Yeah. And um, yeah, so she said, that, you know, for her, sometimes, you know, vi- books give us vibes and yep. it may not yep. be, but it, that's what it, it, but I like added it to my TBR. I want to read that. And then yeah. I love what you had to say about it too. So yeah. It's really good. It's an involved story. I mean, there is a lot of plot to this. It's also a great balance of character driven and plot driven. I did the audio for this and I would say the audio is good. So, you okay. know, read it in print okay. or do the audio. I would recommend either. Sounds like also it might end up being, it sounds like one that did it get a lot of buzz or no? no. Because it sounds like it, it sounds really good it's and maybe so good. it, it should have gotten more buzz than uh-huh. yeah. what I, I, I th- didn't think it did. I think it got a little bit of buzz on Instagram. I was looking it up on Goodreads when I was prepping for the episode, you know, to get the synopsis and it only has 4,000 ratings. And it came out in 20, well, it only came out in 2021, but still it's been out well over a year, only about Mm -hmm. 4,000 ratings. I think this one is absolutely worth the read. Okay, good. Okay. This one I'm so excited to tell you about, and it has been sitting on my TVR print bookshelf for about four years. And I'm glad I pulled it off. And I'll tell you, I was in the mood, specifically in the mood for fast popcorn thriller. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so I went to my bookshelf and I said, hello, this is now a trusted author. I forgot I had this book. It's A Noise Downstairs by Linwood Barkley. Oh, I've had this on Ah. my metaphorical list forever too. I don't know where I got this book, but it's sitting there. But of course I had to, you know, grab the audio. I binged it two days ago in one day. It is about, it's a psychological thriller. And The blurb is accurate when it says it blends the twists and turns of Gillian Flynn with the driving suspense of Harlan Coben. That is very true. It is about a man troubled by odd sounds for which there is no rational explanation. That's just just the tip of the iceberg. You have college professor Paul Davis. He's a normal guy with a normal life. And one night, he is out driving. It's along this deserted road, very late, when he comes across a murderer and tries to do the right thing. And that's when Paul's quote-unquote normal existence is turned upside down. Because after that encounter, he ends up finding himself battling PTSD, depression, and severe problems at work. After the initial setup scene, which will, I promise, pull you right in, it will cut to a year later. And so, which I, I love. Paul is married to Charlotte, and Charlotte is desperate to cheer him up. And one day, she brings home a vintage typewriter to encourage him to get started on the novel that he has always intended to write. He's in therapy because of what happened, and he feels like he may be able to start writing about the experience, and he wants to do some specific writing lessons and interviews in order to help him heal. However, the typewriter soon becomes a problem in itself because Paul swears it's possessed and that it types by itself during the night because only Paul can hear the noise coming from downstairs. Charlotte doesn't hear anything, and she ends up worrying that he's going off the deep end. 
Paul believes the typewriter is somehow connected to the murderer he discovered a year ago because that killer made his victims type apologies to him before ending their lives. Has another sick twist of fate entwined his life with this killer? Could it be the same machine? As time goes on, Paul becomes increasingly tormented, but he is bound and determined to discover the truth for himself as he begins an investigation. But he may find out that perhaps he should just stop asking questions and walk away while he can. That may sound like a large setup, but believe me when I tell you, I that is very, very vague as to what actually happens and goes on in this story. If you know, like Linwood Barclay, you know him, Tina. I This is now my third book I've read this year by him. And, and these are the only three I've read. He is such a smart writer. The plotting is, it's complex, but it re, it's binge worthy. It goes really fast. I had no idea what was happening. And what I really loved that he was able to do while, while giving a real popcorn thriller plot was, was make Paul somebody that I liked so much. And so when you have a character like that, for me, I was in it. I had to find out what was going to happen to poor Paul, what was actually going on, the side characters that are brought in. Some of them are creepy. Some of them, you're not really sure who is telling the truth. He's got an ex-wife and her husband. And there's a lot, there's quite a lot going on. Here's the other thing I I would say that makes him such a fun writer. You never know in his plots, and that really applies to all of them, but definitely to this book, you never know when in the story that you're going to get a twist, and you don't know how many twists you're going to be getting. And that was absolutely accurate in this book. It left me stunned at times and thoroughly, thoroughly entertained. I loved it. I'm going to tell you quick, the three books that I have read this year by Linwood Barclay, No Time for Goodbye, A Noise Downstairs, and Take Your Breath Away. That is in order of like the, how I enjoyed these. This one, I would probably also set like set it at a 4.5. Okay. I loved it. I yeah. loved it. It's really good. A Noise Downstairs by Linwood Barclay. Oh, I'm so glad you read that one. So this one you liked the most of those three? I liked it second. Second. Uh, no okay. time for goodbye. Yeah. Was a was a slam dunk. Got it. Five stars. Okay. Got you. Slam dunk. And this one, I, it just was a little bit shy of yeah. slam dunk. Five stars. And that happens. But super fun. Mine was, I read one by him, I think it was this year or last. It was Find You First. And mm-hmm. that was really, really fun. Very fast paced, just kind of super unique setup. I would give that about four point five as well. So he's got okay, a lot of uh He's got a hit maker, apparently. Yeah, he he's definitely moved into my trusted author category. And I'm glad because he's got a, a large backlist. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Speaking of trusted authors, can I please tell you about my shelf edition? Oh, yes. Okay. We are getting a new Mary Beth Keene. The book is called The Half Moon. And it comes out on May 2nd, 2023. So we're going to have to wait a while. But I was so excited. I had to bring it. This is from the author of Ask Again, Yes, which I loved. And that came out a while ago. So I love when an author takes their time, you know, kind of crafting Mm -hmm. their next novel. This is a book about the complexities of marriage, family, longing, and desire. Malcolm 
Gephardt, the handsome and gregarious longtime bartender at the Half Moon, has always dreamed of owning a bar. When his boss is finally ready to retire, Malcolm is inspired to buy the place. He sees unquantifiable magic and potential in the Half Moon and hopes to make it a bigger success, but quickly realizes customers don't like change and that making a profit won't be easy. Malcolm's wife, Jess, is smart, confident, and has dedicated herself to a career in law. But after years of trying to have a baby, she's struggling to accept the idea that motherhood may not be in the cards for her. Like Malcolm, she feels her youth is beginning to slip away, and while her hopes and expectations fall short of the current reality, she wonders how to reshape her life. Taking place over the course of one tumultuous week when Malcolm learns shocking news about Jess, a patron of the bar goes missing and their town gets hit by a massive blizzard. Award-winning author Mary Beth Keene's skilled storytelling and generous spirit are on full display as she carefully explores a marriage in crisis, what it takes to make a life with another person, and the true meaning of family. I could cry. I'm so excited uh. about this book. I'm like, oh my God, you know my dad owns restaurants. It's got, you know, it sounds like this person's probably in my age range. I'm like, oh. It sounds so good. I'm going to read this Mm -hmm. in the first snow. Like, I'm going to open this up during the first snow of the year. And I'll be by myself because it doesn't come out until May. But (laughs) uh, I think I have a galley of it. And I'm so excited. This is The Half Moon by Mary Beth Keene. Yes, I just snagged a copy of that. So I am. It sounds good. It sounds so good. I'm surprised it's not coming out in the winter. I know. You know us, though. We, like, think we, we're like, oh, it mentions Blizzard. Like, why wouldn't it come out? I know. <laughs> we're such a, we're not only mood readers, but we're seasonal readers. Like, so yes. much so. So, same thing. I was like, wait, May? I'm not going to want to read about a blizzard in May. But, like, truly, it does not matter. And there's people that probably do have snow in May. So Right. It probably will be set for beach bag season. I mean, like it'll be in people's beach bags, I'm sure. Okay. My book is also upcoming, but soon, but a little bit sooner than that. It is Locust Lane by Stephen Amidon. Comes out January 17th. I barely got past the first sentence before I was heading to NetGalley to request this. It is for fans of Mystic River by Dennis Lehane. And Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Um, Could they come up with two better comps for you? (laughs) No, they could not. This is billed as a taut and utterly propulsive story about the search for justice and the fault lines of power and influence in a seemingly idyllic town. Can anyone there be trusted? It asks the question. So on the surface, Emerson, Massachusetts is just like any other affluent New England suburb. But when a young woman is found dead in the nicest part of town, the powerful neighbors close ranks to keep their families safe. Eden Perry is that young woman who was found dead, and her death kicks off an investigation into the three teenagers who were partying with her that night. And of course, each becomes a suspect. You have Hannah, a sweet girl with an unstable history, Jack, the popular kid with a mean streak, Christopher, an outsider desperate to fit in, and then you have their parents, each with motivations of their own. Put all of this together, and that only complicates the picture, because these parents will do anything to protect their children, even at the other's expense. Publisher says it is a brilliantly woven, intricately crafted plot that gathers momentum on every page. 
and leads to a dynamic read that is both intensely gripping and deeply affecting. Yes, I love the sound of it. It's Locust Lane by Stephen Amidon. All right. That does sound really good. And those comps, again, you can't beat them. If anyone mentions Dennis Lehane ever, I will automatically read the book. (laughs) Now we know. Yes. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content like our mailbag episodes, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Oh, here I, I thought you were, I literally was like, wow, Renee is a f***ing genius. Let's talk about bookshelf organization. What a great topic. Where did she ever come up with this? And then I started to write my script and I was doing the intro and it's like, and today we're talking about, oh, reading our shelves. <laughs> Got it. Like, <laughs> <laughs>